Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. As 2 Kings chapter 18, 1 through 6. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahazah, king of Judah, began his reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Elijah, daughter of Zebekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David has done. He removed the high priest, smashed the... and he smashed and scared scattered stones, cut down the Ezra pole, he broke into pieces the broken snake Moses had made up from that time. The Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, even before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commandments the Lord had given to Moses. Well, good morning. I do hope you'll keep your Bible open to that section of Scripture. We'll be uh, spending a good deal of our time in that section of Second Kings this morning. I want to begin by wishing you a Happy New Year. It is good to see you today here in worship. And my prayer for you is that God will bless you in 2016. My prayer for this church is that God will continue to bless the Savannah Church family in 2016. As you make your plans for today, I want to invite you back this evening, if you can be back with us at 5 o'clock. We're going to enjoy a lesson tonight, or study a lesson, uh, entitled Living a Life That Matters. And it will be an introductory lesson to several that we'll look at in in, in the next few weeks, from Psalms, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes under the umbrella of, you know, how do we live lives that really make a difference? And so if you can come, I hope you will. We don't spend, uh, we're usually out in less than an hour on Sunday evenings. It's a great time of fellowship. It is a time of worship and hopefully a profitable time of Bible study. We are in chapter 16 of the story and um, as you probably have talked about in your Bible class this morning, a couple of major things that happen, and we'll try to move quickly through those and then get to some application in the few minutes that we have this morning. But 2 Kings chapter 17, we're, we're introduced or we're taken through the fall of Israel. And it's really kind of sad as that occurs because Hoshea, he's the king of Israel, uh, chapter 17 verse 2 tells us that he's evil, but he's not quite as bad as some of the other guys were. Uh, But he's paying tribute to Assyria, and so when he starts trying to not pay that money, Assyria moves in, and Israel falls, the northern kingdom. And if you ever, you know, sometimes God tells us why, and sometimes God doesn't choose to tell us why. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 17, God makes the case. God tells us exactly why He removes Israel from His presence. And there are a lot of things we could read and a lot of things we could say, 
But I want to notice just a couple of verses as God makes His case and as God tells us why Israel falls. The Bible says in verse 13, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all His prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep My commandments, My statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through My servant and prophets. However, they did not listen but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And so the last verse of chapter 17 says, So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria. And so God removes them. And there's a very specific list of sins that are, that are there in 2 Kings chapter 17. And it's hard to read without thinking, it didn't have to be this way. All God ever asked for and all God ever wanted was to have this relationship with His people. That's what He asked for. They didn't want it. And so the northern king, the northern kingdom, it falls. Meanwhile, though, down in Judah, there's a new king. His name is Hezekiah, and he's the one where we're going to spend our time this morning, and he's a good guy. He's one of the kings who gets it, and I'm thankful that we've got a good guy to talk about on the first Sunday of a new year, because for me, I like the first Sunday of a new year to be about hope, and I like the first Sunday of a new year to be about how can I have a better year this year than maybe I had last year, and so through a guy like Hezekiah, we're going to see some things that should be encouraging to us as we think about a new year. Um, he's, he's introduced the reading that was just shared with us out of chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. There's this introduction, this summary of who Hezekiah is and how he's trying to live. And, and we'll come back and notice some of those attributes a little later. But we want to talk about his story and try to get through that uh, in, in kind of a brief way. When he arrives, Judah is not completely independent, and it's because of his father Ahaz. Ahaz had sought help from Assyria back in chapter 16. He's been paying money to Assyria for protection. And so this payment has become an annual payment, and so as, as, as Hezekiah becomes king, he's cleaning up corrupt practices by his own people, you see that in the beginning of chapter 18 where he's removing high places and sacred pillars and taking out the, uh, that, that serpent from the days of Moses, things that people were bowing down to that they shouldn't have been. But then along with that, he's got this problem with Assyria that he's going to have to deal with. And so he makes the decision after putting some things in place, he decides that he's going to stop sending the money. And that gets king, the king of Assyria's attention. They, he doesn't like that. He wants the money to be sent. And so notice in um, chapter 13, or verse 13 of chapter 18, the Bible says, Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Hezekiah doesn't send the money. And Sennacherib, he responds by saying, okay, well, I'm going to attack the outlying cities of your province. I'm going to take those cities. And in one of the moments where after he's described as being a person who does right and all these great things about him and there's not been a king of Judah like him before him or after him, Hezekiah makes a maneuver in verse 14 of chapter 18 that's a bit of a head-scratcher to us. For some reason, he decides to say that he's done wrong. 
You know, stopping the money was the right thing to do. But then when Sennacherib takes those cities in verse 14, Hezekiah comes back and says, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me and whatever you impose on me, I'll bear. In other words, if you'll just leave me alone, I should have sent that money. I'm, I'll, I'll, you tell me what to send, I'll send it and then just leave me alone. Well, we all know, going all the way back to the earliest days of going to school, you never try to pay off the bully. Yeah, that, that never is going to work because the bully is always going to be the bully. It's always going to come to a head at some point. And so he confesses wrong. And when, when Assyria asks for money, it's not just money that's laying around. He has to dismantle part of the temple to, to pay off the gold and the silver that they're asking him to send. And it doesn't make the bully go away. Because the next thing from Assyria is a messengers. Uh, is me- the king sends some messengers to Hezekiah and they show up and they start trying to intimidate. When you get to uh, verse 19 of chapter 18, they, they ask a big question. They ask the question, what is this confidence you have? You say, I have counsel and strength for war. Now, on whom do you rely that you rebel against me? And then they start asking questions. Are you relying on Egypt? I know you're not relying on Egypt. Egypt's not very strong. If you're relying on Egypt, you're just foolish. And then they talk about, you know, your own army. We would send over 2,000 horses if you could put riders on them, and you still couldn't fight with us. So I know you're not on your own strength. And then they even start taking jabs at God Himself. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to have a loud conversation in front of the people of Judah and they're trying to get the people of Judah to even turn against Hezekiah. And so all of this is going on, but it's finally the last statement that seems to really get the attention of Hezekiah. Notice what happens in verse 35, 33 of, of chapter 18. They say, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? You know, look around you at what's happened with everybody else. Everybody else has fallen. Why do you think you'd have a different outcome than all these other people? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seravim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? And then here's the big question. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Hezekiah has been preparing for this day. He's been making preparations for the day that Assyria might bring a siege against him. But in the moment of having to answer that question, it tears Hezekiah. Up. He's, his full attention is on this problem now. And so when you get to the beginning of chapter 19, it says he tears his clothes, he covers himself with sackcloth, he enters the house of the Lord. And so he goes to Isaiah the prophet, and he's looking for a word from God about the problem that's going on. He's seeking out help from God. And the message through Isaiah from God is a positive one. Notice verse 6 of chapter 19. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own 
land. And that's great news because in verse 3, Hezekiah is describing this as a day of distress and rebuke and rejection. He's kind of wondering where God is. And God says, I'm here. And Assyria, the king of Assyria, he's not going to be the end of you. King Sennacherib, he does return and he goes off to, to deal with another problem. But he sends a final message to Hezekiah. And it's this arrogant letter about, I'm going to be back into Jerusalem, and, and when I come back, it's not going to be good for you. And so in the last part of chapter 19, again, Hezekiah receives this last message from Sennacherib, and he takes the piece of paper, he takes the message, he walks into the house of the Lord, and he lays that out in front of God, and he begins to pray. And he prays in verse 15 of, of chapter 19, O Lord, the God of Israel, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, you're the God, you God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he's sent to reproach the living God. You know, Hezekiah is wise in this. Not that we ever need to tell God anything. Not that we're ever going to make God aware of something He doesn't already know. But he's trying to say to God, you do realize here that He's attacking us, He's threatening us, but He's also, he's also trash-talking you. In verse 20, there are words of comfort there. It's a brief statement from God. But God's response is, I have heard you. In the upper story, in thinking about what God is trying to accomplish, the Lord responds by saying that, I've heard what your prayer is. You ever go through those times where you wonder if God's really listening? When we're trying to live for Him and we're crying out to Him, He's hearing us. And, and Isaiah then delivers this message about God's upper story plan. The idea that, hey, the king of Assyria, he's been doing some bad things and he's been oppressing some people, but he's only doing what I've allowed him to do. He's doing some things that I've been using to accomplish my plan and what I want to see done. And I know what he's doing and I know when he gets up and I know when he moves around. He's not doing anything I didn't know about. And so that very night, God kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The, the army withdraws and then later on, Sennacherib is assassinated. And he's not the threat that takes out the people of Judah. The other thing that goes on in this narrative and in this story occurs in chapter 20. And while it's the chapter after all of this, uh, the timing of it isn't chronological. You've got to back some of this up. It's going on while Hezekiah is dealing with all these problems. He gets sick. And he gets a message from Isaiah saying you'd better put your house in order because your life is about over. Well, he doesn't have an heir in place. He doesn't have all these problems resolved. He begs God, I've been trying to serve you. I'm, I'm trying to live for you. Is this really the time that you want to take me out? And, and so God says in, in verse um, 6 of chapter 20, I'll add 15 years to your life. And I'll deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I'll defend this city for my own name's sake and for my servant David's sake. It's real life. 
dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of bad things. And then on a personal side, he's sick, dealing with his own physical well-being. And God says, hey, I'm going I'm to bless you with 15 more years. Problem is, it's, it's one of those things that we've seen happen with other guys in Scripture. For whatever reason, it seems like to me that if God told me He was giving me another year, that somehow I'd wake up every day and think, wow, this is an extra day that I wasn't supposed to have. I think I'll devote this day to God. Well, for whatever reason, as Hezekiah lives these 15 years, it seems he gets a little bit selfish, maybe a little bit self-confident, a little bit not confident as much, thinking about God, thinking about the alliances he can form because he gets well. And the people of Babylon, who also hate Assyria, they show up uh, and, and say, we're happy you're well. And they bring him a present. And, and Isaiah, or excuse me, Hezekiah begins to have this conversation and this dialogue with them. And it would be the equivalent of us taking one of our enemies through the Pentagon and showing them how we do everything to protect our country. And so he does this and Isaiah shows up and says, listen, you've done wrong here. You're forming an alliance with these people. You're being friendly with these people and you should be thinking about God. And because of this, later on, Babylon's going to take you out. Judah is going to fall to Babylon. And even in that, the response from Hezekiah is, well, I'm just happy it's not going to happen while I'm king. Something's happened with him near the end of his life. And while he's a great king and while he accomplishes a lot of very good things... This humanity that we see in him here at the end, I wonder sometimes if it's lost on us the level of commitment that God is actually looking for from us. The purity of heart, the devotion where it's not about I'm going to hedge my bets by staking part of my claim on this world and then trying to have a relationship with God, but it's this God wants us to be all in with him. We began by talking about the fall of Israel and how it didn't have to be that way. And that's part of the work of Isaiah. What Isaiah is going to come back in later on in, in prophecy, and we were singing about that some this morning, Isaiah is going to point people toward Jesus. His work is going on while Hezekiah is the king. That shows you how far and how far removed from Jesus Isaiah actually is. But he's going to talk about God hasn't forgotten you, and Judah won't be falling away forever, and Jesus is going to come. And so we're reminded of Israel, and it didn't have to be that they fell the way they did. Hezekiah chose to honor God. And I want to go back to those first verses in chapter 18 for just a minute and use those verses to finish up this morning. Because again, when we face a new year, I like it to be in an optimistic way. And I like it to be in a way of thinking, okay, how can I elevate my walk with God this year? And from Hezekiah, from the summary of who he is and who he was, we get three principles that I believe will bless us. There in verse 3, the Bible says, He did right in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah chose a path that his father Ahaz had not chosen. 
And, and sometimes for us today, living for God begins with us choosing a pathway that maybe some of our family members before us didn't. Hezekiah's reminder that, that we can have a past that's not godly, but we can overcome that and we can choose to walk with God. He also reminds us that doing right in the sight of the Lord, it's not about me defining right in my own eyes. It's about first figuring out what God has said and then doing my best to live that out. Because again, the verse says he did right in the sight of the Lord. And so there's theology in that statement, but it's also so basic. In the moment of decision, consciously thinking about doing what's right, that can be a game changer for us. Some of you are going to go back to work tomorrow for the first time in a number of days. And one of the reasons we sometimes dreading go, we dread going back to work is we're going to have to deal with some people that we don't like to deal with, right? Well, as we go back to work and we maybe are going to be dealing with some, some co-workers or some customers, some folks that, you know, the, the idea of just, I'm just going to do right, that can help. Same thing for, you know, it's time to go back to school. I'm going to deal with some fellow students who don't always... I'm just going to do right. And that can help us at home in dealing with our families. And that can help us in our church family. The idea, I'm simply going to do right. Because when we make the decision to do right, things generally get better for others. Hopefully they get better for us. And when we choose to do right, we always look more like Jesus. One of the things that I hope you do is reflective thinking. That's where, say, at the end of the day, I think back about, okay, what happened today? I just kind of think about my day. What, what went right? How could I do better? It's re- they call it reflective thinking. And so I would challenge us all to begin using that as a tool to help us be better in 2016. And so at the end of the day, one of the reflective thinking questions ought to be, okay, did I do right today? That's an easy question. And it can point out some obvious opportunities to do better. The second thing for Hezekiah comes from verse 5. He trusted in the Lord. And I love the definition for trust. Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. That's one definition for trust. You think about assurance, assured reliance. See, Hezekiah was having to base a lot of his trust more on the history of his people than on what he had actually personally experienced. And I love that because we find our trust and we often find our assurance in the very same way. God wants to take care of His people. God wants to bless His people. We see that happening over and over and over when people choose to trust Him. See, trust, it's, a, it's about doing what's right even when everything else seems to be going wrong. Hezekiah is under extreme pressure. It makes me think of the words of David when the Philistines are pressuring him. Psalm 56 verse 11, In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? For Hezekiah, it's talking about the assurance that he has in God, even when he himself may well be scared. We talk about it every week. And we should. Because our trust is based on that cross 
that we sang about, that we thought about. We may, want to, we may desire and plead for a more God-fearing country. We may be begging God for better health in one way or another. We may want some major things to go right for our church. Whatever it may be, the request that we request a lot of things from God, and God wants us to be asking. But please always remember, in one sense, our trust isn't based on something that we're hoping God's going to do in the future. Our trust is based on what God did in allowing His Son to go to the cross. He acted for us on our behalf on the day that Jesus paid that ultimate price. Now, faith regarding what He's going to eventually do in taking us home to heaven? Absolutely. But our trust is also rooted in what He's already done. That's what studying the story is all about. That's why one very simplified version of the story is this. God's team wins. Pick a team and don't be foolish when you choose. Reflective thinking, end of the day. Did my decision making today reflect trust in God? And then finally, number three. Verse 6 of chapter 18 says that Hezekiah clung to the Lord. Well, we talked and we sang about clinging to the cross. And that's an important term because for us in our culture, being clingy, that doesn't always carry a positive message. It's a positive connotation. Uh, sometimes we're concerned if a child is too clingy. We've got to help this child form some independence. Sometimes there's a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's too clingy and most people don't like that very much. But for Hezekiah... Clinging to the Lord is a good thing. It's the idea that he's hanging on no matter what. And again, I think of the words of David in Psalm 63. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. We tend to cling to what we trust in the most. And so if you self-analyze today and you say, well, I'm really not clinging to God the way that I ought to be, it may be a trust issue. We've got to cling to Him hanging on when it feels like we're about to fall off. We've got to cling to Him hanging on when it feels like people are trying to pull us away. Hanging on when it's hard to understand what God may be trying to accomplish in our lives and in the moment. Reflective thinking? Would those who know me best say that I was clinging to God today? Finally, Will we choose to finish strong? And we've asked that and we've asked that and we've asked that. But for Hezekiah, again, it's a great question because for all of the good, near the end of his life, there's something that's not quite the way it was and God calls him on it. But see, I believe the keys to finishing strong, it's not about thinking about something that's going to happen way down the road. I think the key to finishing strong is to having the right approach to each and every day that God blesses us with. Today, am I going to do right? Today, am I going to trust God? Today, am I going to cling to the Lord? And if we'll ask those three questions on a daily basis, we can finish strong. 
We're going to ask the question or, or, or make the affirmation today as we sing an invitation song that we're leaning on the everlasting arms. And I would simply ask the question as we begin a new year, are you leaning on those arms today? Donnie's going to be coming to lead a prayer for some prayers that have already been requested after we sing today. And I know Donnie would love nothing more than if there's a prayer that you need him to pray on your behalf in front of this church, let that be known. Today, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and maybe you're ready to begin the new year as a child of God. Maybe that's how you need to begin. If we can assist you in any way, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.